Welcome to Did You Eat Yet? I'm Jessie Chang. And I'm Grace Long. We're your hosts for this podcast. We believe every single person is created for a purpose. And the ethnicity, the characteristics, and the personality you have all work together for that purpose. So join us as we have honest conversations about what it means to be Asian between cultures through the lens of Jesus. Welcome to the third episode of Did You Eat Yet? As per usual, I have Grace Lung with me. Hello, Grace. Hello. Hi, everyone. Hello, hello, hello. And today we have a special guest, um, Pastor Josiah Jennings from Chinese Abundant Life Church in Christchurch, New Zealand. Kia ora. Hello, hello. It's Yay. great to be here. Welcome, welcome. Thank you, thank you. Really good to have you on. And, and we have Josiah today with us. Um, to talk about family, which is a really important thing, especially for Asian people. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what what are your initial thoughts about family, Grace? Yeah, family, I think, is so important, like you said, amongst Asian, the Asian community. And I think particularly for the Christian community, sometimes we might not actually have a chance to talk about it much explicitly like it's something that you know forms a big part of how our churches meet and how we relate to each other but in terms of yeah how we think about church and some of the I guess resources and teaching that we think about we don't often teach about family explicitly which I think you know it's it's a shame because I think we do need a lot of guidance in this topic. And what is your take on on family Josiah and I know our listeners can't see us, so they don't know that um, Josiah here is our Pakeha brother, our European <laughs> brother, um, but you have a Chinese wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a Chinese wife. We've got uh, two kids, and uh, but uh, really, I have been spending the last 10 years engaged with the Asian communities, especially in particular Chinese, but mm. also a bit of Korean, yeah. uh, and living in China as well, so... So in some ways, coming back, this is actually my first time as a family to live in New Zealand in the past year. So I ha- I do know a thing or two about the way family operates in different cultures mm. around the world and, and things like that. So the blessing of our family is, in a sense, we can take the best of both worlds. At least at least we try to take the mm. best of both worlds in, in regards to how, how each culture views family and and. In the West, you know, with our very kind of more individualism kind of stance on things these days, um, there's positives and negatives to that where it can be quite empowering for young people, yet it can mm. also be quite daunting and mm. overwhelming for them. While on the on the, on the the Asian side, loyalty to the family or these mm, uh, yeah. larger, larger expectations uh, to kind of even... Even stay with your immediate family after you get married and starting your own well, family. Yeah. You know, those aspects. So, um, and then really going, okay, what, is, what does the Bible say? That's right. What are, what, what are the actual <laughs> principles here rather than what, is, what, are, what does my culture tell me? Mm. And so it's a blessing for us uh, to grow and really uh, try and we wrestle a lot, me and my wife, on these mm. issues. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. And, we'll, yeah, we'd love to get into some of those issues that you, mm-hmm. you've brought up a little bit later mm. on. But I guess, first of all, I think it would be really interesting to know a bit more about you, Josiah, in terms of, you know, why did you get involved with 
for the Chinese church. Okay, um, <laughs> long story short, we'll put it that way. Now, I was I lived overseas as a missionary with YWAM. Um, you, you guys mm, yep. must know YWAM now. Yep. Youth, youth with a mission for anyone listening who doesn't know. Yes, yes, and um, we were overseas for a large amount of years working with Chinese and actually sending them into missions. And so just becoming aware of many of the factors that were hindrances in a Chinese person's life for them to reach God's calling uh, and working through those so that they ended up going overseas into missions or whatever they felt called to do. After a while, we ended up um, in China and then after China, we we, we slowly made it to New Zealand, not really knowing what we were doing um, until, except that I wanted to study. And um, I think just God's leading really has led us into the role that we are in in the church. We knew we wanted to be involved with the Chinese community. Never in my right mind would I have thought that the church I'm in was looking for a Chinese-speaking Kiwi <laughs> that That's awesome. has experience with Chinese. Co- I mean, it, it, there's not many of us around, um, and no, let alone no. <laughs> So, so um, I think for them it was a huge miracle, and also just for us as a family as well, to to find a place for us back in New Zealand after we've been away for so many years, a place to engage with Chinese community, and really continue uh, our, our our work and, and heart for serving God. So, how how good is your Chinese? Ah. Uh, <laughs> Hi, Kay. <laughs> okay. Oh, hen hao, hen hao. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Not too bad. You're yeah. good. So, and I guess either of you could answer this and, and speak to this, but I just wanted to first establish why family is so important for people of Asian descent. Mm. You know, in Asian cultures, uh, collectivists tend to be collectivist type cultures. And so, you know, collectivism um, is where individuals can expect, you know, their relatives or um, people within their in-group to look after them. And society's position on this is, you know, reflected in people's self-image, like people define themselves more as we instead of I. And, yeah, particularly at Confucianism, we can see that, you know, filial piety, like, you know, it's such a huge thing, being able to respect one's elders uh, and parents and in exchange really the parents Mm. or the elders are to sacrifice for the children so yeah it's such a huge value um, in confucianism at least um, in east asian cultures yeah actually i probably would have said the two same things collectivism and confucianism is kind of the two isms if we were going to talk about Mm. stuff where yeah, Chinese are a collective society in a sense where they view themselves not as just themselves, but as a wider collective. I remember once we, when we were studying counselling, my wife, we had to draw a picture that described us and, and I drew something that described me and only me. But my wife, she drew like flowers and every flower represented someone else oh, in the wow. family and that's the way she yeah. described herself you know oh that's fascinating yeah, yeah so and i was just i was fascinated going well she that's the way that she views herself as something bigger than just herself it was is part of a wider network and and i think that's a beautiful part of the chinese culture where they are in a sense it can get messy i think it can get messier but yeah it can mm. get very messy yeah <laughs> but it also if if there is health uh, healthy 
you know, systems in that as well. It can get very, very intimate and close to one another as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Let, let's unpack that a little bit because when you talk about how when it, it can get messy. Um, so I'm just thinking in particular for young people because you work with a lot of young people, right, Josiah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> in terms of with young people, when it gets messy, what does that look like? I think... It, I think we'll, we'll narrow it down to young people in Australia, New Zealand, or or outside of an Asian context that are growing up with Asian parents. Mm. Where right, so between cultures, different. Yeah, yeah. There's also another level there where there's that uh, they understand these expectations, the understanding of what a what a Chinese family would operate as. Yet they also have um, a completely different value set as well and trying to balance those two I think can be quite hard and often I think they would view the their Chinese-ness their Chinese family value system as uh, strict harsh those mm-hmm. kinds of things would be the um, the thing it's something that they actually kind of want to break from because it, it can come across that way sometimes for them and also quite enmeshed I think they might feel a little bit too because of that collective kind of value, a young person growing up in a Western society is wanting to find their own two feet, but mum keeps cooking them food and bringing it to them at school every day. And that, you know, that mm. kind of thing where there's like maybe they're overstepping, yeah. they feel they're overstepping, the parents are overstepping boundaries. And when you have these mm. different value systems, it, can, it could get quite messy without healthy communication in place, yeah. I can definitely relate to that. Like, I'm I'm 25, but my mum still insists on cooking my lunch and so that I can bring it to <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't... For some people, it doesn't change after they get married. Like, some people, they get married and their parents are still buying their groceries. Oh, wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to tell my wife, when our daughters turn 18, you need to feng shou, you know? Yeah, yes, <laughs> yeah, just let go of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let yeah. it go. Nice frozen reference there. Great, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so then, what what do you think has been the hardest for you, for either of you, in terms of trying to communicate with parents at your churches to like let go of their young people a bit more in terms of just I think just working with parents is already a challenge you know I think um even for me as a second gen leader and then working with first gen parents um like communication is often quite difficult and you know uh, traditionally in children and youth ministry it's all about you know partnering together to raise their child right the parents are their primary caregiver but like we want to partner with the church and yet we can't communicate well because then they may not be confident in English whereas for me and other second gen leaders we're not confident in Chinese or whatever Asian language it is and so yeah often you know we want to work together but it's so hard to communicate outside of just that you know two hour time on Sunday morning Mm, yeah um you know then they have to leave you know straight after go to lunch or whatever and it's kind of like this different world where particularly if you know the congregations are quite separate you know there's not really any other chances except for the 10 seconds at the door or if if it's your older youth like you don't even see the parents because the youth just come in and out themselves Mm. yeah I mean I 
I I I found uh, some maybe I could say some unique breakthrough in in, in the time so far, and I, I wouldn't say it's all my wonderful strategies that I've put in place or anything like that. But in some ways as well, I do think I have a bit of benefit of the doubt as a, uh, they, the parents would not expect me to fit within a Chinese uh, system or way of thinking because I'm not Chinese. And so they are in a sense more open and willing to uh, different ways of communication, different ways of maybe running youth group, things like that. So uh, but at the same time, I do try to seek to really understand what point of view they are coming from and, and let them know as well. So they feel quite honoured and respected by me. And at the same time, they are also quite willing to let me do what I what I want to do, in a sense, with the youth. Now, that would be the first thing. I think the other thing, Grace touched on it, where it, it really depends on the congregation, where mm. when I came in, it was very separated. Okay, the kids go there, the youth. And you babysit them. And then that's kind of what it felt like a bit. And then we're doing the real church in the main hall over here. And um, I really came in quite strong on that in the beginning when um, when I was like, actually, we are the church. Even the kids, you know, they are the church just as much as the older ones. And just trying to break some of these ideas. And maybe you could call that a Confucian idea, really, where it's that hierarchical kind of system a bit more... Um, and just, I just came in with a few op- options like that. And what I found was a really, really positive response uh, from the parents, from the leadership of the church going, yes, this is what we want. This is so refreshing. And I think that mm-hmm. comes out of a place of uh, prayer for them and just desperation for really, in a sense, not knowing what to do with their children that were growing up. They just didn't know how to raise them in the society and and um, so now we have that kind of a platform to work together. So what would you say would be the best way to go about it? So if if we're talking about, you know, like a youth pastor trying to bridge that gap between the parents and the youth, is there any advice that you have for someone kind of in that position? Yeah, yeah. There, I mean, there would be plenty of like tips or something. Uh, I couldn't think of one best thing because it really de- depends on what church you come from, how much their leadership gives you the freedom to do what you want to do, or things like that. So, for in our church, pastor lets me preach like once a month, so I'm able to impart my view and values on the on on things quite freely actually and so it's Mm. it's a huge blessing which i think actually makes a huge huge difference to the whole congregation as a whole but i would say one thing is that it's really really important that it's understood the role of the youth leader versus the role of the parent and not to get those mixed up because the youth leader could never be the parent Mm. and the parents can never be the youth leader now they often get mixed up or the parents might think oh no I've got a problem with my child I'll just send them to the youth pastor and they'll fix it <laughs> it doesn't work like that actually mm. most of the issues are solved in the home that is not the role um, I'm trying to do the other thing would be where there's that expectation from the parents to shanke, um or yes atten- attend a class <laughs> yeah. you know like yeah. like Christianity right. is a class that's right we're really very academic or classroom style <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's a community. They need mm. to they already know so much these kids. That's they right. know so much 
They need a place to live it out, and that is what I'm about. Um, those would be the things that I would highlight. Mm. We've kind of been talking about this, although we, I haven't specifically, none of us have specifically talked about pressure. You know, in, in our previous conversation, there, I guess there sometimes there is that pressure. So, you know, even if you're married, how your parents kind of stick around and, and they're still like very intensely part of your life. Maybe, Grace, could you talk a bit about what are some of the things that, you know, particularly for Asians, that we um, we might feel pressured by our families in? Well, I think there are certainly overt pressures, right? So pressures to do well, um, pressures to get married by a certain age or not be dating, pressures of when to have children. Um, so there are some overt ones where, you know, it, Maybe like during family dinners or big gatherings, you know, people will ask you about that stuff. And sometimes it's really subtle as well. Like it's sort of in the sort of a shame based way of having those expectations on you. Um, mm. Or, you know, when you get compared to your sibling or your cousin or something. Mm, and yeah. so I think, yeah, there's definitely those pressures to sort of conform to the more traditional Asian uh, values um, and characteristics. Yeah, that can be really different, I guess, you know, when we look at our Western friends. Um, you know, even just things like being quiet or being, you know, very more submissive and in the home and compare that with being in the classroom in, um, in you know, at school and, you know, assertiveness and authenticity and your opinion, you know, confidence, mm, those yeah. things are more valued. And so there's always competing expectations where in the classroom you're expected to sort of be more Western in a sense and then you're expected to be more Asian at home. And, yeah, one one set of characteristics gets punished in one but rewarded in the other. So it can be quite difficult. <laughs> and I think yeah. the the problem then is like, you know, it's sometimes for some many children it can be difficult to express that struggle or even to articulate, you know, that that tension or that pain. And so... For some children, they might start to internalise it, that there is something wrong with them, that they're not Asian enough or they're not Western enough or something. Um, I think it particularly gets bad because, you know, yes, there is Asian values and, you know, characteristics, but then there's also, like, parents who are just abusive, right, like emotional abuse. Mm. There could be yeah. neglect there. And then, you know, it's not all, oh, it's just a culture thing. There's also, like... You know, in every culture, there's more um, unhealthy and dysfunctional families. And again, there's in the Asian culture, because we can't speak up easily, it can have that really negative effect on sort of the mental health of young person. Yeah, that's really good. You, you say that so well. I would, I, would, I would add one thing I'm trying to do. Well, two things I'm trying to do to kind of navigate that would be, one, provide a place for them to try and be themselves mm, uh, right. where we can actually have these open conversations with them yeah. where they can you know sometimes laugh about their mum's accent and how embarrassing it is at the supermarket or something for them or you know where they feel that they have the freedom to talk about these cultural things these culture you know the western culture things on and then the asian cultural things and and how is that uh, expressed in their family and just if they have a place to discuss these things I found that um, quite helpful. The The other thing I would say, well, which we have been doing, which also has received really, really positive feedback, is we started 
doing what we call parents' lunches, where we might just do like once a term, twice a term, mm. where after church we'll have lunch together and well, either I'll speak or we'll, and we'll have different testimonies of maybe parents that children have already grown up and what they learned raising Asian children in this society. Mm. And then also professionals who live in Christchurch on specific topics. So we're having a guy come to talk about pornography soon and how do mm. parents address that mm. issue. Yeah. And so the parents, the parents are like, man, I want to do this every week. And I'm, <laughs> we won't do it every week, but they are so, they are so eager to, to also learn how, how to, how to adapt, how to adjust, how to communicate better than what they have been. Cause the way they grew up in their culture, wherever that was in Asia somewhere, uh, it's just significantly different to, to to the context that their children are growing up in now. Mm, that's right. And I think, at least in my context, like I found that many of the parents, they don't, they didn't grow up in Christian families themselves. They're the first generation of Christians. Uh, and so they don't know what it's like to like run a Christian family. So it's also quite right. new for them. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we're just going to take a quick break and play a game called um, Types of Asians, which is basically just us asking questions of each other um, to find out more about ourselves and um, our Asian culture. Um, I thought since for this episode, we've been talking a bit about pressure from families and the the messiness Mm. that comes from that. So instead, for a flip side, when has there been a time where you were pressured by your family that it was actually a good thing? You needed it. You needed that pressure. (laughs) Probably to go to youth group from my mum would be a good (laughs) one. Especially when I was like 12 (laughs) 12 or 13 years old. A bit of pressure there, I think, was a really good thing. And then to go to Easter camp, and then that's where I became a Christian... Uh, yeah, that was good pressure. That was definitely some good so pressure. So good, so yeah. good. Thanks, Josiah's mum. <laughs> good pressure. I mean, I I have to say, my parents are pretty good. Like, they're not your typical, you know, that kind of Asian parent. But I will say, like, the pressure to go to Chinese school was actually turned out good. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I hated it. Yeah, I hated it at the time. Like, I hated it so much. But, um... Yeah, like I could watch, you know, I could watch dramas from Hong Kong and Taiwan and eventually it helped me learn Japanese and I watched Japanese dramas. It made like learning those languages so much easier and now being able to, yeah, be connected with what's happening in the world um, because I can understand the language and read some of it. I've lost a lot of it. But yeah, definitely the, the pressure to learn Chinese at the end of the day, it turned out to be good. Mm. So, so the motivation to learn Chinese was just so that you could watch drama. <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah. I wish I had that pressure to learn Chinese. But no, <laughs> cool. Well, I mean, I, I don't have... This is, this is a bit of a funny one for me. So I went and got my learner's license back when you could get it when you're 15. Yeah. I think it's changed yeah. now. You can only get it when you're 16. So the day after I turned 15, my mum like literally took me to the driving center place and like made me take my learners, <laughs> which nice. is, nice. yeah, yeah. But I really appreciate that because you just, once you 
get driving is just so much easier. She wanted to stop being your chauffeur or something. Yeah, man. No more chauffeuring. But the, yeah, funny, the funny thing about that test, though, was... Um, so you, in, in New Zealand, you're allowed to get three questions wrong and still pass. That's like the maximum number of questions you can get wrong and still pass. Um, I got three questions wrong. And, um, and this will show everyone how, like, n- not studious I am. <laughs> because one of the questions I got wrong was, uh, what do you do when you get to a stop sign? You stop. What? <laughs> you stop. What? It's a stop sign. <laughs> you say go (laughs) (laughs) i said slow down and be prepared to stop but um, Uh, my friends have never let me live that down i i can attest though i have i do now have my full license that's fantastic that's fantastic I could I I could drive before I turn fifteen actually. All right, Josiah. (laughs) That's what. Suppose a bit of a bit of good pressure from my dad maybe. Oh, cool, cool, nice. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) As a young person, sometimes it can seem like your parents they just don't get it and. And it's really hard to communicate with them, but I guess there, there needs to be grace on both sides, right? Because, yeah, you you could be dealing with parents who this is their first generation Christians, and and they just never actually had a good role model about how how to parent um, with with Christ at the center, and a different culture as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, what if you are a young person and you know you're trying to honor your parents but maybe they're not a christian um and so sometimes by honoring them you're kind of in in direct conflict with obeying and loving god how how do you navigate that Mm. Mm. it's hard one (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i think it i think it can be done we also need to define when are you a child and when are you your own adult? Mm. That is also going to be yeah, a, a right. big difference because you, you, you don't necessarily have to be doing what your parents tell you when you're 18 years old or 25, you know, or whatever uh, it may be. But, of course, when you're younger, yes, you want to be... that Your honouring looks far much more like obedience. But once you're your own self and an adult, then then, of course, yes. actually honouring looks significantly different because you actually need to step out and do things out of your own decisions. Mm, yeah. uh, there's part of healthy maturity in growing up. But I, I would say that it can be done. Obedience to God and honouring your parents mm-hmm. looks significantly different within Asian culture than it would in Western culture because that value and principle should still be applied in any culture, really. But it just looks quite different. So, well, I don't have any like simple solution, but because every parent would be different. How do you communicate your honor to them? Would be a question that I think would be really important for every every mm. young person to be asking themselves. How can I communicate my honor to my parents while at the same time letting them know that I actually want to obey God first and foremost? Mm. I think that kind of relationship where you can communicate um, in an honoring way, it's definitely something that's built over time, right? So, like, 
like sometimes, you know, we can come to these massive decisions. And if we didn't have a good relationship with our parents anyway, like it's very unlikely they're going to be on board. So I think sometimes it's about cultivating that relationship with our parents, you know, as we're growing up. Because if we don't even have that sort of base level of trust, um, yeah, I think it just gets harder as we get older. So, yeah, it's definitely, I think, like having healthy and good communication based on trust so that when you have something really big happen, a really big decision, you have, you know, years and years of trust there to sort of, you know, lean on um, and, you know, and that sort of cushions, you know, whatever big thing or decisions that you might decide to make on your own. I like what you said. Yeah, you guys said about, yeah, yeah, building that trust but also showing like having a way – that you communicate honour to your parents too. What does honouring your parents actually look like? As opposed to obedience. I mean, I don't like, there's two words in Chinese, right? Like you've got shunfu and shuntong. And one kind of means submission and one means more like obedience. Uh, where I, I, I say that we should always have that attitude of submission to one another. Where in in Ephesians, Paul writes, like, submit to one another. Out of reverence for Christ. Yet mm. that doesn't always mean obedience. So, like, or the other way around could be is not right. We may always obey, but our attitude mm. is not submissive. We're not submitting to mm. one another. Yeah, that's It's good. like a kid, you know, we're at school and the teacher says, sit down, you've got to sit down. And they kind of sit down and they're like, hmm. And they might, you know, and they say something like, well, I'm, I'm sitting down on the outside, but inside I'm standing mm-hmm. up. And, and actually, that's, that's not the heart of God, where actually we want to be uh, having the attitude of submission to our parents mm. and honour to them. But sometimes that may actually mean uh, a, a, a bold conversation with them to say, hey, mum and dad, this time I actually need to make my mm. own decision, especially the older you get. Uh, those bold conversations in love and honour will probably need to take place more. Um, even in my culture, I'm not Asian, but those things still needed to take place. Like my mum wanted me to be a doctor and I actually needed to sit down and say, no, I actually don't want to be a doctor. Um, I, I want to actually go overseas and be a missionary. And it was a big big challenge for my mum to embrace for a bit but we had those bold conversations it doesn't work in every family because some parents might just blow their tops every time mm. you say something mm. but um those ones uh, need a bit more navigating but yeah i just wanted to pick up as well um like there is a line when mm. you become an adult and you should be able to make your own decisions but you might have family pressures which which like just seem to have like a heavy burden on you what is your advice for young adults in that kind of situation and and what is the biblical way of actually going about it i mean yeah i think sometimes it can be tricky because i do remember you know when i had some peers who were thinking of you know considering full-time ministry or something like that you know and Sure, everyone's trying to be culturally sensitive, but sometimes, you know, you'll get, you know, you talk to your campus minister who's, you know, an Anglo person. And, of course, like, you know, they'll sort of have their cultural preference, which is, you know, at the end of the day, it's between you and God. It's a decision that you have to make by yourself. 
you know, and then of course you're talking to Chinese pastor and they'll might say something like, you know, um, you need, you know, validation from your family and, you know, your church community and stuff. And so like even getting sort of guide, like getting guidance that's, is not sort of like culturally one-sided can be difficult as well. Um, but I think it is really helpful to talk to a number of people when you do have big decisions. Yeah. And I think it's particularly difficult when, you know, you're going, you're moving, transitioning from a child to an adult, right? Um, that's the, the hardest part because I think, you know, in your parents' eyes that you're going to seem like a child for longer than you want to be. Yeah. And so you're mm. learning, you know, you're learning to think like an adult and make adult decisions but you're you're only used to relating to to them as a parent and child but now you sort of have to move to this adult adult dynamic and I think that's weird and that can be a bit, bit weird for both people to get used to you know parents also don't have to learn how to parent an adult child and relate to their child as a free-thinking adult as well yeah that yeah the transition period there can be uh, huge it can be a really difficult few years you know once you left school really and then um, mm. you know you drive your own car and and you, you kind of have your own life yet that transition period and relationship where parents don't really need to parent mm. you anymore they're still your parents but they don't have to take that role as a parent in a sense um, can be quite a hard one and a hard one on both sides. Like the mm. parents find that hard and you might find that hard. One thing that came to my mind as you were mentioning that was in the, at the end of uh, the book of Galatians. I don't know the exact verse, but Paul talks in there about how people should be carrying, um, bear one another's burdens, but carry their own load. And just defining what is a burden as a family that we carry, or that we're bearing together, but then what is each person's own personal mm. responsibility? Um, and then as an adult, what is your responsibility? What is your dad's responsibility? What is your mum's responsibility? And not trying to take off each person's responsibility. So just a just kind of an extreme example, but. Uh, a lady that we knew for, for, for many years, she wanted to work in missions, but she could not get her family out of debt because her brother kept gambling the money away and going into debt. Uh, so she would work to pay that off while her brother didn't work at all, even that he was the one putting them in debt. One day, she had to make the hard decision to say, actually, this is my brother's mm. responsibility to pay off the debt that he is making. And um, she mm. stopped paying off his debt. And he was forced to get a job and pay off his own debt. So, uh, which is a good thing. And that's what should have happened. Um, so, so that's kind of like a, just being able to differentiate between what is the burden and what is each person in my family's personal responsibility. And then sometimes that can be quite offensive to people where you don't, you know, do what they... <laughs> It wants you to do but it is defining those lines um a bit and um that i think that's really important yeah and it comes back i guess to having those uncomfortable conversations with with your parents yeah yeah, yeah. in in the most honoring way that you can yeah do you guys think that in particular with with the asian culture and and our view of our parents our earthly parents can that affect our view of how God relates to us? 
Yeah, I think for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Bible is full of that family language, isn't it? And, you know, if the if our experience of love has, you know, is, is largely from our own family and parents. And so it definitely colors the way that we experience God's love. So when it says God loves us, you know, there's there's a certain way that we've been loved, right? And I think, you know, there's there's particularly like the different ways that we show love in different cultures. I think it can be tricky to, you know, sometimes see our Asian parents' love as love. Um, I was reading this book and they were talking about how, you know, like Chapman's five love languages. Um, Acts of service. Words of affection, like physical touch, quality time. Yeah, I can't, anyway. So, like, sometimes those, you know, they're, they're kind of a more Western style of showing love. But, you know, we, Asian love sometimes just looks like food. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, sure, that is acts of service. But sometimes we don't see it like that. Or sometimes, like, it's sacrifice, you know, sacrifice, food. But sometimes we may not interpret it's given as love, but we don't receive it as love. And sometimes maybe it just means... I mean, it's both ways. Like, I think sometimes we might have to learn that that's just their way they're trying to love us and to try and receive that love. But at the same time, communicate to them that there are other ways that you might actually want to be loved, like words of affirmation. I mean, there's definitely people that have been within my ministry who who do struggle with their picture of God and their image of God, particularly if their parents were distant or, um, you know, even emotionally distant. Sometimes no matter how how do we try sometimes our view of god is similarly distant as well yeah or he might mm. not be a safe god like you know i think if yeah. parents weren't safe without with emotions and we weren't able to be honest with them you know that that can also affect the way that we communicate with god that we might think that oh we can't be angry in front of god we can't be emotional in front of god that he's that he won't like it or something like that which is far mm. from the truth yeah the, i mean we talk about god in Romans where he is, we call him Abba Father, you know, and then we say, oh, that, some people say, oh, that's so sweet, that's wonderful, mm. he's my father, but yeah. others might be going, oh, no, he's my father, because, you know, depending on what their own view of a father actually is, and so it it takes a long time for all of us, even if we had a good figures in our life, to say, okay, that that's all good, but what 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 kind of father does the Bible say that God is, and and then that you, we have to look at the life of Jesus, who is the representation of the Father, um, and, and how did he express love, and and learning what 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 that looked like, and and then discovering what kind of father and what kind of character that this father has, and mm. and then learning to actually trust that yeah, is is, right. is another is <clears throat> another thing. But yeah, it's it's huge. I think it really does impact us a lot um, in our lives. Uh, some more than others. Some may be just naturally more able to say, actually, okay, dis- distinguish between the two. It's something we should all ask ourselves. What am I viewing God as actually through the lens of my own parents? And yes, some of that is good, but some of that, where 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 could I where could I grow more in this area? So good. Um, I guess something else that in in the Asian culture, uh, Asian kind of heritage is idol worship, and I feel like for quite a quite a few of us, even even my own family, like 
in in my grandparents and my aunties and uncles there were a lot there was a lot of there is still a, a lot of idol worship how does that affect us well i think there's different uh, i mean we I, I won't touch the spiritual aspect which i but i do think there could be spiritual definitely connections through the generations which would be good to consider where certain aspects of your life need to be broken off against mm. generational mm. bondages uh but I, but i also think there's that whole aspect of idols where you know you enter your you know you go into a funeral or you're going to the, a wedding or any form of celebration and there's that idol kind of worship there um, I don't know how much that happens in New Zealand, actually. I, I haven't experienced it with the, the young people here as much, but I'm sure it still happens. But I know in China as well, it, it was a really, really big question for Christians there. How can I honour my family when they expect mm, me to do yeah. this idol worship or or, or things like this? Um, uh, which I think would come back down to having those hard conversa- hard and honouring conversations and, and finding a way to support and be there through certain things that are happening, yet not having to bow down or, or you know, sacrifice mm. something, you know, or pass the fruit yeah. on to the, to the ancestors or whatever. I think another side to that question is, you know, sometimes the idols are not, you know... Um, sort of physical idols, right? Sometimes parents, I think, can idolise their own children or idolise, you know, family or academics. And, you know, they expect, you know, there's so much pressure on the children in sort of, in a sense, to sort of fill the hole in the heart of a parent, you know, particularly if it's like a non-Christian parent that ought to accomplish the things that they weren't able to accomplish. And I think, yeah, that's, and, you know, and they expect Mm. you to sort of be that for them you know to fill in those hopes and dreams and I think that can be especially hard you know particularly if they also idolize like you know security safety you know obviously a lot of them have left a dangerous place um or you know a place of poverty to come to a different country and so like you know those things like safety security comfort can be really really big you know you know yeah, idols, I suppose, for them. And what happens when they expect you to conform to those things? And how do you communicate that actually Jesus is the one that ultimately gives us our safety, security, um, and that we don't have to sort of strive and perform to get those things, you know? And again, I suppose it comes back down to just the hard, those, um, yeah, hard honoring conversations. We seem to be talking about that a lot, like, so in terms of hard yeah. honouring conversations. So how do we, like, if we, if you, if you had a young person come to you, like, how, how do I actually have a hard honouring conversation with my parents? Like, where do I even start? What, what is your advice? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's, it can be a very bold thing to do. That's why I'd say it's a hard conversation, because it's never going to be like a nice chat <laughs> to talk about things. Um but but there are times, especially I would say once we're hitting fifteen and up, there will be slowly things where you start to differentiate from your parents naturally on values or different things. And the older older you get, then of course you're having to make your own decisions. Where I would say that something along the lines of 
you know, you actually have to somewhat, in a sense, make a time. Like, hey, I, I, there's something really important that I want to talk to you about or I'd love to discuss with you. Can we actually set aside a time to do that? Not just like a your, your mum's busy cooking and then you come in the room and you bring up this conversation about how you want to get married when you're 18, you know? Um, that's probably not going to go down so well, but if you've set the time, they've already prepared their heart for something big, mm. in a sense, um, which could be a, a, a one beneficial thing to do, I would say. Mm. Yeah. And I guess the other potential way, I mean, I, I do agree, of course, that we need to talk directly to them sometimes. But at the same time, some, sometimes you know how like Asian cultures can be very indirect in their communication and they actually mm. have mediators and third parties. And sometimes like that can kind of work as well. Um, I think, yeah. you know, if there's like an uncle that you or an auntie that you're particularly close to who can understand and sort of, you know, soften them a bit beforehand yeah. and yeah. sort of yeah, in that yeah, yeah. indirect way. So, um, you know, as like, uh, there's, there's a, there's a paper where they describe conflicts, you know, uh, conflict resolution in, uh, Western society is this open heart surgery. Like it's all open. Everything's exposed. Everyone knows everything. Whereas like perhaps like, uh, an approach of acupuncture where you sort of just moving around the energy <laughs> kind of thing can also like, you know, be a culturally, appropriate way to go about it i mean at the same time i, I totally um yeah agree with what just i said sometimes we do have to have those direct conversations um yeah i totally agree with you too <laughs> a mixture yeah. of both <laughs> yeah i would say that that ideally ideally that would be the part of the role that i would see as part of the church if there were was the wider community that people felt mm. supported by that they feel connected to that the youth and parents alike, they have people within the church context in that community that they feel uh, supported and are walking through this journey with them. Then those conversations, in a sense, would be, in a sense, much more natural through... It doesn't have to be the pastor, mm. but maybe a form of a mentor or, a, you know, a youth leader or, you know, the parent may have a group leader or something. And... And those conversations will, in a sense, be uh, easier. But, of course, it's it's hard for churches to come to that. But I do think that that is something that churches can be really... You can actually begin to change the culture. Mm. And then if the culture of the Chinese church has changed, other Chinese who don't necessarily go to church, they might go, mm. wow, how did you deal with that so well? And... and, and, and and become to embrace uh, these things as well. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then that's how we spread the gospel, team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I would love to see you know like families you know relating together so transformed within our Chinese churches that it's yeah it can be so attractive to outsiders. Thanks for joining us today. This episode is brought to you by Season Asia of the Rice Movement, which is committed to championing the Asian voice. If you have any questions or comments on anything we've discussed, please drop us a line at seasonasia at ricemovement.org. We're also on Instagram and Facebook and we'd love to hear from you.